What's up, everybody? I'm Tyler Washington. I'm Chris Kissinger. And you are listening to the Alternative Blacks Podcast. Before we start the show, we want to give a special shout out to Oakbrook Brewing Company. Oakbrook Brewing Company has been a day one supporter of the show, and they are located at 628 Park Avenue in Reading, Pennsylvania, in the Millmont area. They have a wide variety of beer and an equally wide variety of amazing food. Make sure to check them out and support a local business. All right, Chris, you ready to get into the show? Let's go. All right, so welcome everybody to the show. Today we're going to be talking with Daniel White from The Connect. But before before I can talk, before before, <laughs> before we get into any of that, beer. That's right. So what are you drinking, Daniel? Oh, yeah. So tonight I'm not drinking beer. I'm drinking a nice little hard cider. It's called uh, Chesapeake Cider here. Um, they're a company down here in Maryland. They have a actually a pretty cool initiative. They give like a percentage of their proceeds to the Chesapeake Bay Foundation. So definitely want to represent what they have here. It's pretty good. It's pretty delicious, guys. And what's the Chesapeake Bay Foundation? Good question. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just like environmental. So making sure the bay okay. staying clean, making the earth lane safe that way. So okay. a little bit about their foundation there. <laughs> oh, nice. You love to see it. Is there any like... Uh flavor notes that are that come off the the can do they do they yeah. explain the beer a little bit so this one I you know i don't know if you guys are familiar with like angry orchard how sweet it is and yeah. Not, yeah. it's good but you know it's not the greatest this one's a little bit more dry mm. so it's a, it's a lot better of a of a cider than you know your real sweet cider it's a little bit more drier which is pretty good i don't like a real sweet cider so. yeah, I'm, I'm with you in fact with, when it comes to like wine which mm-hmm. I guess would be like the next step, like bubbly wine would be closer to cider, I guess. Like I like, I actually found that like dry white wine is probably like my favorite style of wine. Like, I guess there's like a whole bunch of styles. Of wine. <laughs> that that area of wine, I guess is where I'm at. Yeah. Dry white. I actually like a sweeter white wine. So I'm a little bit different on that spectrum. It's <laughs> say wine? Wine, <laughs> oh, a sweeter wine. <laughs> I've heard of Rhine. I'm definitely a like, dry red. So we got like everywhere. I, I haven't had a lot of dry reds, but I like red. But like, I got to be in the mood for that. Like, usually it's like smoky. Mm-hmm. That's what I like. So it's like a bourbon. Yeah. So I got to be in the mood for bourbon. <laughs> but like, no, I can't. You know, I find that white, like dry white is closer to like cider or beer. Mm. So I guess I tend to enjoy that more. That's kind of what I found. <laughs> So what are we drinking? Because you what, got what you are got we drinking? Well, I was in Reading a few weeks ago and I was in Mary's six pack and more. Sorry. I, I took a sip before we got into it, so <laughs> <laughs> we couldn't wait. Um at the behest of my girlfriend or at the uh at the uh suggestion of my girlfriend, because I was just gonna say, well, let's go, let's go home. And she's like you want to go to Mary's? I was like, Always. oh, wow, that's a great idea. <laughs> so we went in there and then she found this because I, my ass walked right by it because it was on the bottom shelf tucked all the way in the back and it's Black is Beautiful. Now, <laughs> if you're not familiar, Black is Beautiful is actually an initiative done by Weathered Souls uh, in San Antonio, Texas, Black Owned Brewery. Um, they have a base recipe of their Imperial Stout and you can brew this and either brew the base recipe or add your own twist to it. And all the labels look like this right here. This is the original label. And then every brewery that follows the initiative will have their own label, like they have their own icon on it. Like this is by Hermit Thrush. It's kind of hard to see because it's like gold, but they'll have their own like insignia on it as well. Um, A lot of these are brewed and a lot of the proceeds go to local causes and diversity and inclusion causes in whatever area the brewery is in um but it's crazy because when this started i thought it was going to be like maybe like one or two different breweries are going to do it it's going to be a limited time thing and it's been like seven to eight months that they've been doing this now this black is beautiful initiative and it's huge. It's huge. And everyone now has, everyone seems to have a Black is Beautiful beer now. And it's, and it's crazy because it all comes back to Weathered Souls, you know, and it all comes back to a Black-owned business that wanted to do something impactful 
and now they have businesses that might not normally be you know in in this realm of caring about what's going on in the community they're at least doing something um or at least having like their mind open to doing something more than just being a business in their area right and like going forward with this like we're seeing breweries now being in their second rendition of a black is beautiful series and like for pa there's like one black owned brewing company harris family out of harrisburg and so i think they've even done one or two now so uh it's really interesting to see uh it really segues into what this whole conversation I think is going to be about is representation and inclusion and just opportunities within different industries. Um, So I'm really excited to just learn a little bit more about the connect and explain to our audience a little bit more about who you are and what this whole uh, initiative is essentially. So before we get into that, we just like to continue teasing our guests. Uh, Do you want to get into the sample game? How, how do we do this on, how are we, how are we like, do you just close game? your eyes? Yeah, do you just close your oh, eyes shit. as I bring this up? Like, just look away. Okay, I'll, oh, oh, that's right, because you have your computer. Yeah. So I need to go grab, why don't I grab my computer while you're bringing the sample right. up? And while we're doing this, what would you rate your oh, cider right. on a scale from one to five? Ooh, one to five. Um, I'll give it a three. I didn't want to go too high on it because it's the first time trying it. So I got to give it a second. Yeah, try to see it. Yeah, you said it was good and you're giving it a three out of five. I'm, I'm a hard critic, you know. <laughs> I, I get that. That is me. My average rating on Untapped, which is the spear app we use, is 3.55. That's gone up 0.03. You were really yeah. A, yeah, I think mine is much closer to four. Um, but I, I, again, I like our scales are different. Yeah. Like when I'd say, when I think good, I think it has to be a four and that's like my baseline. Okay. For like I would drink it again. Anything under that is kind of like, eh, or no. Whereas like, I will give anything in like the three range, you know, I'll drink it again. It's just, I, I can't give it a five. Yeah. All yeah. right. So hopefully you're going to be able to hear the music well. Uh, so the sample game, what we do is we, the way that we go about it usually is we'll find a popular song and then there's a website called whosample.com that I absolutely love. Uh, you type in that song and it will tell you what uh, songs it sampled to uh, generate the beat or some, sometimes it's even the lyrics. Um, but what we'll do is we'll play the original and then the other person has to guess who sampled it and what the, the modern version of it is. Sometimes there's multiple answers too. So yeah. So um, wait, quickly, do we want to rate our beers on here? Oh yes. Do we want to rate them? This, by the way, this this rendition of the Black is Beautiful is a kettle soured Imperial IPA. So it was, it was soured and then it was put in a kettle, <laughs> which kettle is like if, if you've heard of like barrel aged stuff or you mm-hmm. know whiskeys and wines are barrel aged they they take beer and they barrel age it as well and then they'll also age it in um like cast iron kettles if you will uh, which gives it a different like funk it gives it a different aging process uh so that's what we're drinking here um and i w- i would go like 4.5 for me honestly this is like delicious it's absolutely delicious i would it's like tart but it's I'd give it a four two five easily. Four two. Yeah. Gotta be difficult. I can't give you the same rating. <laughs> so the combined rating rounding up would be a four five. Exactly. So this is how we get away with it. But right. you ready? Delicious. Okay. Yes. All right, cool. Close now your eyes. Good. Close your eyes. Oh, that's right. I gotta close my yeah, eyes. Yeah, you gotta close your eyes. All right. So this sample is from Quincy Jones in nineteen 19- Look straight at the screen. I didn't even notice what it was. Quincy Jones, uh, Jones. 1962, and it's Soul Bosa Nova. Wait, I think I've heard of that. Yeah. So here's the sample. Uh, So you know it, but do you know the sample? Ooh, I, I know a couple off the top of my head. Right, um, so first one, obviously, is Austin Powers, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, Austin Powers definitely did this. Yeah, and then Ludacris actually sampled it. Yeah. So, that was, <laughs> so definitely know that one. Yes, yes. Do you know what song? Uh, 
is it um number one spot? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> too hard. Yeah. I didn't want to make it too hard. I just thought it would be a fun sample. Like that's a great. That's a fun I was going sample. through title. Title has a lot of really good playlists uh, mm-hmm. based off of other people's samples, and um, they did a Quincy Jones playlist based off of samples. And I was scrolling through, saw the number one spot. And I was just like, ah, ludicrous. <laughs> Boy, mine's a little more. Uh, oh, mine, mine's slightly more eccentric, I guess. All right, you you have to you have to kind of look away because I'm gonna put it up so that everyone here can hear it. All right, are we ready? Here goes nothing. Oh crap! This is this is Giovanni Cristiani from 1985, Fragments of Crystal. Sounds like Fragments of Crystals. <laughs> That that's like the baseline of the whole beat for this song. Does, does anyone have an idea? Well, it's you. I'm always gonna ask, is it Lupe? No, it's not, <laughs> sir. <laughs> Can you play it again? Yes, yeah. absolutely. Let's All run. Right. It. Hmm. Dude, I believe this might be a xylophone, not a crystal. Hmm. All right, can you give us what year was the, the newer version? 2016. 2016. Was that 3-6 Mafia? <laughs> what 3-6 Mafia song sounds like that? Look, they are dark and foreboding. <laughs> I don't know. It sound, I was going to probably be wrong, but it sounded like Casey Veggies could be wrong. Mm, no, it's, it's, it, no, but actually you're in kind of like the... Earl? Not that close. Well, okay. no. Er- okay, Earl's on the song. He's on the song. So is it Tyler? No. Really? Yes. Okay. Wow. That's Earl's Earl, if, for, for all the listeners. Wow, I'm stumped. You're stumped. <laughs> I stumped you. You stumped me. Usually this is how I get you, but and This is actually like a popular song, but it's like by not a like so popular artist. So that's where the that's where the eccentric part comes in. I got nothing. There's no, no one got nothing. Got Nobody got nothing. Okay, this is Danny Brown featuring Kendrick Lamar, Absol, and Earl Sweatshirt. Really, though, from his 2016 album Atrocity Exhibition. Oof. <laughs> now I hear it. More Danny Brown besides grown ups. I'd be okay, but I know like two songs by Danny. All right. All right. That was a good one. <laughs> uh, do, have you ever listened to Danny Brown? Nope. Which is kind of odd because I'm, I'm pretty good at listening to my music there in Variety. That's why I mentioned Casey Veggies, but. That was a good, that was a good like eccentric. I, what, not, eccentric's not the word I'm no, thinking of. Underground maybe, yeah. but Danny Brown isn't underground anymore. Uh, but yeah, Danny Brown, he's from Detroit. He's a Detroit okay. guy, but like he's very, very iconic for his his voice. Was he on Detroit vs. Everybody? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was on that Detroit vs. Everybody song with everybody from Detroit. <laughs> from Detroit, yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, but like the eccentric, like really high nasally voice is kind of like his iconic thing. Um, I don't know what other song I don't I don't know what songs he was on really to even say hey go listen to this popular song and you'll recognize his voice. I would like, just say Grown Ups. Like if you listen to Grown Ups, that was probably really one of his at, most popular songs. So that that song that I played right. was his most popular song in terms of like chart okay. topping stuff. Yeah, so like, go listen to that. Yeah. Okay. We always enjoy doing some music stuff because that was always a heavy part of our uh, our life. You know playing video games, being at the basketball court, we always were listening to music. So we always try to include that as much as possible. Yeah, even if I don't listen to music nearly as no. much, which is why all my music selections are like from five to 10 years ago. So. And, obscure. and obscure. But uh, now we can get into the show. It's, it's been a little bit of time. We did the beer, we did the music sample, but we are so excited. This is our first real partnership. Like we were sponsored by Oak Brook uh, Brewing Company, which was... Uh, incredible, but uh, it's going to be fun to actually talk about how this partnership came to be. And before we get into any of that, I would just Again. like, yeah, 
you to introduce who who you are. Yeah, where do I even start, Matt? Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, my name is Danielle. I currently, you know, started a company called the Connect, a nonprofit organization um, with a realistically a bunch of my friends um, <laughs> who work in the sports industry. You know, one of the things that we realized was the lack of representation of minorities in C-level positions. Um, I can count on my probably hand how many I've interacted with and I've been in the sports industry for almost 10 years now, realistically. And, you know, one day I was just over quarantines, kind of how a lot of brainstorming happens. I was chatting with um, my co-founder, Jen Pryan, and, you know, we were just chatting through and I was like, hey, I have an idea of a nonprofit I want to start. Um, it's called The Connect. Actually, I don't even think I had The Connect, the name Connect yet. It was probably like the Sports Connect, or I was just playing around with <laughs> a whole bunch of different names there. Some were pretty bad, uh, <laughs> but eventually I landed on The Connect, just kept it nice and sweet. You know, when you ever think of something or any, when you're using a sentence, you just kind of say, I can connect you to this, or like, you know, this is the connect to that organization. So I just kind of ran with that name. It's very easy to say. And it's also good for branding. You know, everyone says the word connect. So <laughs> that's how we kept it there. But, you know, realistically, when we were chatting through what we want this organization to be, we were um, wanting to start on with working with college and high school students. We felt like that is the first beginning part of where we started. Um, when I was talking with one of my former bosses about an internship I did, just mentioning how many minorities have been in the internship with him. And he said I was the first and only person of color that applied for an internship within the sports industry and within that, within that team. And that was back in 2012. And <laughs> to see that that still hasn't you know, progressed, which was crazy and mind boggling to me, to, especially where the, the sports is right in the inner city of Reading. And you know, as we know, that's a heavily populated heavily minority influence area and to be the first and only having that internship was kind of still crazy to me so when I thought about where we need to start it's with the college and high school students and realistically what it is is to educate to mentor and to help them achieve um, being having a career in the sports industry a sports entertainment industry um, we felt like the first place is not them not knowing about these opportunities you know the different career path that you can do. You can be an analytics, you can be a mathematician, you can do, you know, podcasts. You know, my my former job, um, Monument Sports Entertainment, they had so many different umbrellas underneath that and that underneath that job there's a mind-boggling what you could do in that sports realm and just still be attached to the sports team. And I felt like our urban community doesn't know about that. We know about the coaches, we know about the players, but we don't know about the business side of sports. And that's where the brainchild of the connect came from. And we, we talk, yeah, that's we both fun. went to you the know, Obama hand there. The Obama hand, yeah. <laughs> um, so it, it's often about that exposure and that's the opportunity. I think that's all, always um, something that we talk about is just the how often are people at least being shown what availability is out there, what options are out there to them. And it's so... I think uh, the connect is the perfect name because uh, it, it speaks on so many levels on how you're connecting these opportunities, but even just right now in just a interview style, the connect, what is the connect here, right? What, what, what's going on here? So yeah, Chris and I have been friends since kindergarten, right? Since like age five, maybe, yeah. maybe four or five years old. So we, we've gone on two decades of being a friendship and uh, within that time, I was playing tennis a lot sooner than he did. And so I was being coached by you. <laughs> and then I eventually ended up coaching, coaching him among other players. And um, I, I just wanted to. Now I'm a beast. Yeah. A, oh, man. Uh -oh. His service lasted. Um, <laughs> not right now. I haven't played. What, what, how, if you had to clock it, how fast do you think you can serve? Oh, I could get triple digits. Okay. Not bad, not well, bad. Triple digits I could get, but I could get there. <laughs> okay, I like it. I, I would definitely assume that we could definitely hit the triple digits because we were baseball players, so we know what that that speed coming in looks like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I just wanted to briefly, you know, just even mention that quickly. It's just, you know, from Reading, like what what was that? 
how did how did your trajectory go? You you went from the only sport I know you for is <laughs> so I, yeah. I even like hear a little bit more about that backstory. What what sports were you introduced to, and then as you you had the luxury or the opportunity, and uh, you, you put in a lot of hard work to actually go and then play collegiately. Uh, I, I just want to hear about your whole experience in the sports yeah. industry because that that uh, helps with the connect story. I think. For sure, um, I started playing tennis when I was five years old. Actually, uh, my I guess I'm aging myself now. My favorite player back then was Andre Agassi. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know, bald head Andre Agassi, not radical <laughs> 80s Andre Agassi. Um, it kind of all started, I have an older brother, he played football. And I was always just running around, you know, just trying to hang out with your older your older sibling there. So I told my parents I wanted to play football. And they were like, uh, let's put a racket in your hand and see where this goes. <laughs> um, so realistically, that was probably the best thing that they've ever done for me. You know, being in the inner city, Tennis isn't really a sport that's talked about a lot because it is expensive, as you know, Tyler and Chris, just purchasing a racket, the cost of purchasing a racket, a decent racket at that, and the maintenance to keep up with it can be very costly. Um, so I played tennis, I played basketball, I ran a little bit of track. I was pretty, I was all around, I'll be honest, not to toot my own horn, but I was all around good athlete to be. <laughs> um, but I stuck with tennis throughout high school. I stopped playing basketball, which was probably maybe not the best decision looking back at it now, but I wanted to focus strictly on tennis. And then that earned me a scholarship to Ryder University, which is a small D1 school in New Jersey, right between Princeton and Rutgers. Um, we actually played Princeton. I could walk on their campus and act like I was a student. I may have done that <laughs> once or twice. <laughs> but um, when we played Princeton, we got our, we got our asses kicked. Like they're, they were just like on a different level of D1 tennis that I had never seen before. Um, but that was a great experience. It took me places that I never thought I'd, well, never thought at the time I would go to. Uh, I went all the way up to Niagara to play tennis there. And we ran, we did laps around the Niagara Falls just to warm up. So like having that experience during the winter time was pretty stupid of us. You know, you're <laughs> college kids, <laughs> you do stupid things, but <laughs> that, you know, and then at the time I never thought I would be at the Naval Academy, you know, I got to play at the Naval Academy and introduced to that type of atmosphere. So it, it's taken me a long way. And realistically, it introduced me to a lot of different things that I knew I could do professionally. And one of those things was having a career in sports. And that's kind of where I got my start in with the fight and fills. They used to be the Reading Phillies back in the day. I did an internship with them, had no clue what the business of sports looked at, I remember um, Mike Robinson's his name, he was the one who hired me, the director of community marketing there. Okay. And he um, <laughs> he asked me what department I wanted to work in. And the only department I knew off the top of my head was marketing. So I was just like, uh, marketing? I wanna, I wanna work in marketing. No clue what marketing really was in sports <laughs> industry. No clue what like the ticket department did or <laughs> sales or anything like that. And actually he put me in the ticket sales department, which is even more hilarious, but um. That brought me all the way down here to live in Maryland where I, I took a job with the Bowie Bay Sox for a stint. But mm. then I worked my way with Monumental Sports Entertainment. It's kind of where I spent majority of my career. They own the Mystics, the Wizards, the Capitals, a couple esports teams. They're a conglomerate, uh, they're huge. Yeah, <laughs> they're, that's, it's a great company to work for, a great owner to work for it, which is even more important than just being a great company to work for, because you know, there's a, another Washington team down here that you, you don't want to mention. You stay oh, away from. <laughs> there's a job opening. You you kind of steer clear from it. But um, <laughs> that's so Monumental Sports is complete opposite of that, and that starts from ownership. Um, but I worked my way from the ticket sales department all the way up to our global partnerships marketing team, and our partnerships team. It's just a whole different world. You're working with C-level clients. I worked on the Capital One account, which is the owning rights for the actual arena. So working on those big accounts just exposed me to bigger things and broader things and networking with different people in the industry. And it's been, it's been a blessing to be honest that I've had this kind of lavish career um, in sports and entertainment. I still do, which is really awesome. Um, I actually got two championship rings, which is pretty amazing. I should have brought them out, but I, I forget, I forget about them sometimes. <laughs> but they're nothing. So from two Washington teams then? So that yes. would be, 
That would be the Nationals and the Capitals? No, no. So the Capitals won, our yeah. Mystics won, and then we had an AFL team okay. uh, called the Washington Valor, which <laughs> that they they won a championship in the AFL as well. So I have, oh, okay. yeah, so Washington has some winners, you know, <laughs> just from one company. <laughs> I wanted to ask you two questions that came to my mind. Um, the one, the one was, uh, one, how was it like playing at Navy? It, like you, you mentioned the atmosphere being different or like the field being different. How was it like playing at a place that to me would seem like ridiculously structured and like really like hard line? And how does that kind of, I've always wondered how that kind of like translates to their sports because I was, uh, I was sent a recruitment package by, uh, West Point when I was in high school for football okay. and I was like fuck no 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 not doing but I that 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 always kind of ran in my mind then like you know what do those players what, look like yeah what do those players look like like what do they you know how do they operate are they just normal people you know are they robots like what kind of what kind of environment is that yeah. So first thing first, um, tennis, you don't sing the national anthem. You don't do anything. At, you know, you just shake your hands. You get introduced to your opponent, which is still really structured. First Navy match, their their players singing the national anthem. And my team's just like, OK, this is, <laughs> this is a little weird. We never had <laughs> before a tennis match anyone sing the national anthem. And it was just it was really kind of crazy to experience that. But of course, being where we were made sense. Um, another thing, you know, when we're warming up, you know, they were missing a serve or something. I think they had to do like push-ups. Like it was kind of, it was kind of crazy when they did that. They didn't do it during a match, but during like our warm-ups and stuff, they were doing push-ups and stuff. So it was very strict. They wonder why like their serves aren't good. And right. it's like, well, I was doing a hundred push-ups before I actually. Oh, what was his name? Celtics. Um, Celtics. He did that a long time. Oh my God. Why can't he? He missed a free throw. He ended up doing push-ups. High name player? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Rondo. It wasn't Rondo. Oh, Paul shit. Paul Pierce. Paul Pierce. Paul Pierce? Didn't he do? Yeah, I think uh, he did uh, push-ups the one time. I don't like That's Paul what it reminds me of. Yeah. Uh, I, remember... I know Mike Evans from Tampa does the push-ups when he drops. Yeah, yeah I've seen I've yeah. seen that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny. Like, just talking about it is uh, going to Hillcrest, like, in <laughs> middle school for me and, and doing uh, – I ended up being one of the better players and a group that I was set in, and I wasn't playing up to my ability and one of the coaches. I know. Oh, yeah. Then you said you weren't playing up to your abilities. So I wasn't. I, <laughs> I had but, many times that happened to me down there. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, but I, and that's what I want to get to, but is uh, coach Paul, I think his name was, he would, he would, yeah, I loved him. He, he got on my case about it and he was just like, you know, there's no reason that you can't hit above the net against any of these players. As soon as the ball goes in the net, that's why pushups, you can either do them right away. Or you can do them at the end of the session. So I just remember <laughs> pushups after every, so that, that kind of reminds me of that situation, but, um, going going forward from all of this i know you had another question oh yeah the, the second question was this one's easily pretty easy it's um <laughs> you mentioned sea level a couple of times um and i'm assuming that's like sports industry jargon that i don't know so corporate I just, cor it, it is corporate level and, and what sea level means is um people director and above so your vps your presidents your cfos your your c coos okay. you know i never heard of a um a CPO until like I started working in more of the corporate setting and it's like chief police people officer and I was just like what are we just making up positions now <laughs> but, like there's so many different titles there but yeah that's what C-level typically means like your chiefs your yeah your COOs your CEOs your CPOs your okay. CFOs <laughs> are really high up there basically C-level yes yes right and so um this isn't back to the point i was trying to bring up with uh the hillcrest thing but um no it's okay uh, it's a conversation i wanted to have with you because i feel like this is very uh on par on point with what the connect is aiming to do is a lot of times i'll jump into conversations with people about the lack of opportunity the uh yeah you know, the lack of generational wealth for the Black community and, and a lot of where these um, hindrances come into play when we're talking about, you know, 
oh, slavery was like 400 years ago. Why don't you get over it? And all these other elements that, that yeah, exactly, that come into uh, prosperity and actually being better off as a people. And um, somebody will, a couple of people will bring it up to me. They will look at all of the black wealth that exists within the sports industry when you're talking oh about God. players. That's sorry like ass. That. That's sorry ass fucking point. Right, man. but it, it, <laughs> it, is, it is. It's to the connect's point. It is like you you see players and you see this wealth that exists within players, but then once we start breaking it down beyond that when we start then looking from players to coaches but then even further from coaches coaches to, to administrative administration and, 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 and to, but yeah and to your point it's a it's not about who's making money one it's about who you know they're making money in in an industry and that industry needs to be looked at in a in kind of like in a in a bubble you know how much are they making compared to people, to their contemporaries or people that are in their industry? For one, the second big part of that is influence. You know, they might have, they might be celebrities and celebrity grants you, you know, certain privileges and influences, but, you know, influence within your industry, you know, it's, it's the people that are in charge of making the money for the industry. And while they make the money for the industry, they're also expendable more yeah. so than someone else who's on the business end of things on the it's, it's, side of things it's definitely crazy i mean i can root <laughs> don't i go on tangents you can ask my friends my family like how you can almost root everything back <laughs> to slavery <laughs> it's kind of crazy um but you know it's the business and if you look at i think forbes just did you know their top 30 on their 30 and if you look at that list in the sports industry yeah most of those people, there's a couple athletes on there. And then Kasha Cloud, she's doing great work. And there's a couple other um, big name athletes on there. Ben Simmons, you know, Sixers guy. <laughs> but if you look at the majority of that list, it's the business side of those 30 under 30 people. It's the agents that are on that list. It's yeah. the person selling corporate partnerships to Mountain Dew, to Hyper Ice. You know, the person who inked the deal for the NBA to have Hyper Ice as a sponsorship. That's huge. The commission on that is huge. That's big money right there that that person, that individual or that team is getting. I just know from Capital One account, the commission payoff for landing that deal, it's like, it sets you up for a very long time, just to put it that way, you know, <laughs> the payout on it is, it's very nice. So, you know, it's, yeah. it's just kind of crazy that, you know, the power from, comes from the owners, you know, the players, yes, they're the influentials, they're the ones that are, you know, driving your fans there, but the ultimate power comes from your business and your owners, your CFOs and the owner collaborating to making that, making that star to star, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, just a quick story, when I was working with the Mystics, um, actually Jen and I, the, the co-founder of the Connect With Me, we were talking about how, you know, we actually made helped make one of the players on our team more prominent just because of the marketing we were doing around her, you know? And so like that type of power is, it's very strong in the business side. And, and what I always tell kids and students, it's like, it's cool to be a player. It's cool to be a coach, but how cool is it to own the players? And <laughs> I mean, own's probably not the right word, but. Oh, no. yes. <laughs> it, it is because it is. it's what's happening. Well, I, it is. <laughs> point when you said you can bring everything back to slavery it's like oh that's it's it's not a it's not that's definitely not a negative that you do that because yeah. you know with sports you can bring it back I mean it's almost like item line for line in terms of chattel slavery I mean it's it's crazy when you think about it when I say there's influence for these players to you know uh you know what their celebrity to influence the world around them it's only so much as you know compared to like a slaver a slave back in the in in, in yeah. the day um and the owner and the slave master yeah. and the power they had you know with the country you know the power that the slave had was really with okay if we all stopped working that would screw up the system yeah uh, you know if we wrote if we raised a stink that would that would throw off the system. 
However, you know, that's perceived power, but then in the actual power, okay, we can get this, we can get killed for this. So we, you know, we're being suppressed that way. The players, they can raise a stink. They could lose their, their, their starting position. They could lose their spot on the team. Yeah. You know, if, if they piss off the owner or the administration, <laughs> you know, yeah. whoever it is, and then they lose their livelihood. Yeah. So they're still being controlled subliminally. And I think like back to the point of kind of the back side of sports industry, you know, we don't really think about the fact that there's a business and to sports we always just think of it you know we have the athletes and they're doing it because they love it and that's all they're doing it for and they if they don't do it for the love of the game then what are they really doing right when really they're getting all this money because there's tenfold hundredfold thousandfold money being made off of that product and yeah there's space for people to inhabit in terms of working in the business end of that that no one really thinks about or talks about i know when i was in high school um i never really knew or thought about the fact that hey like if you went into accounting you could work in the sports industry you know if you went into marketing you could work in the sports industry you know no one really thinks about that no one really tells you hey you love sports you grew up on sports listen, you could still be around all of that and still do something that isn't physically sports related. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, yeah I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, especially because I feel like this is where the, the connect is uh, highlighted. This is, this is the whole point. For sure. And before I go back to that, I will have to, I do have to say the NBA and, and realistically the WNBA has been doing it for years, but the NBA players, they're really owning their power and, you know, they're making sure that the owners are listening, even to the point where for NBA players, they actually don't call them owners too much anymore. They're changing the names and making those right, proper, um, proper changes to make, get away from kind of that slave mentality of owner and trading and selling, you know, of people. But it's the NFL that still has that ownership mentality. And that's, and I, unfortunately I might, you know, offend some political connects, but that slave mentality <laughs> that they that they have over those players and we saw it with Colin Kaepernick we saw it with um I think Eric Smith with what they do with him and a couple or Reed I forget I think his name is Eric Reed, Reed. Eric yes yeah. and, and we saw what they did to those players and it's a shame you know one person loses their livelihood for standing up for something and then the other person joins them in standing up for something and they get criticized they get bashed by the president who gets bashed by the president like that you know for standing up for something that's right. <laughs> I mean, not this current president. Everyone gets back by this current. A whole different type of president. It is, it is, but he's like. He's still the president, technically. He is. But he's, he's not my president. Not, not mine either, you know, <laughs> you know so. That's an interesting point that you brought up. Uh, the fact that the, N, the, the WNBA has been so much better with yeah. social issues and been so much more proactive. And really it comes down to the fact that the sport itself lends individuals to having a bit more power in that sport than other sports because it's far less people and and the individual like with basketball the individual can really make a difference on a team the individual in football not as much and they have less bargaining power because of that but it's because the players really identify with the fact that hey I have power and I'm going to use it for the greater good but the women have been you know as much as the NBA has been mm -hmm. very good lately with that you know the WNBA has been light years ahead with yeah. that and it doesn't get talked about a lot you know no unfortunately it doesn't the, those women out there they're they're pushing the social issues really strong really heavily and you know they the media coverage, you know, doesn't cover it until LeBron James retweets it or something along those lines, you know, which is unfortunate, but that doesn't stop them from what they're doing because they're not doing it for media coverage or publicity. They're doing it because that's what they, they wholeheartedly believe. And that's what's, I think what's great about, they understand their power really well. And unfortunately they have coaches and organizations that are not going to penalize them they're not going to you know they allow them to express themselves in a proper manner as long as that you know which is really awesome 
Yeah, I, I think what you just said that uh, with the with the WNBA is not doing it for uh, necessarily for clout or for like media chasing is I, I think that was one of the the big draws to what you're doing with the connect was um, it, it's not necessarily about getting the most press, but it, it's about doing the right thing. And, and I can really get behind it. We, we talked about uh, opportunities that were presented to us as tennis players coming yeah. up in the city of Reading, or just as sports industry professionals, you briefly, uh, Chris, you briefly mentioned this too, is there's always that class project about, what do you see yourself as being when you grow up? Don't say a professional athlete. And they right. never went beyond saying, think how you can be a part of the sports industry without being on the floor right. or being on the field. Yeah. And so I, I just, that's where I would like you to expand upon or like talk a little bit more about the connect and what you're looking to do, because it, it's about the opportunity that exists. That's not, outwardly expressed to the people in a city that opportunities exist. Reading has so many sports opportunities, <laughs> but for you to be one of the only interns that is a person of color or a black woman, like yeah. <laughs> that makes no sense to me. I just want to want to hear about why the connect is so important to you. Yeah, the, the connect's so important to me because I faced that um, just being in the sports industry itself, growing up that going up that corporate ladder for a female is tough. Growing up, going up that corporate ladder as a black female is even tougher. Um, so if, like one of the reasons, if I can help anyone, a minority, it doesn't have to be black, it, you know, just a minority person, help climb that ladder and make it a little bit easier for them by paving the way or introducing them to the right people. That's where that passion comes from for me, you know. Um, I mean, my experience, I mean, I'm fortunate. My experience was great because not a lot of people make it in the sports industry. It's probably the most applied for jobs, but there's only a few jobs out there. So I am very fortunate and grateful for the experience that I have. But where does that fortunate being grateful stop when I need to be on that director's level, when we need to be in those VP and those meetings that are making decisions that impact our communities and impact the people we're selling to, essentially. Um, so, and one of the things that I've always noticed was, and I hated it, I'll be honest, I hated it to the point where it just used to like burn me up and I'd probably be even tougher on this person than another person is when I had to hire or interview other people who are being interviewed or hired because their dad is friends with the CFO or the owner and they had that immediate connection and I can't hire the person I want to hire even though they're more qualified because you're, you don't want to burn those bridges with that CFO and that, and that person there. And that always used to, to burn me up. And one of the things that we don't see is we don't have those, when we don't have people of color or minorities in those positions, they don't think about other people. They, they just see their group of friends, they see that. And when you have hires like Derek Jeter, what he did with the Miami Marlins were hiring the first Asian female to be the GM, that's huge. And do you think that happens with, I don't wanna categorize, but it may not happen with having a white um, person that's in Derek Jeter's position. He might not be thinking broader and seeing the different at people that are out there that are just as qualified. So that's yep. why it's important to have those people in those positions um, of power because they're the ones controlling the hiring. You know, One of the things um, I had a mentor who I was talking to about just going up to be into those director positions, like our records are the same our, you know, resumes are pretty much the same. We've done some of the similar things. You know, I may have even done even more than this person, but like, what was the reason why this person may have got, would get hired over me? And he simply said, he was like, sometimes it just comes down to who you want to have a beer at. <laughs> no pun intended with the show, but uh, have a beer with at the end of the night. And me being a black female talking to a white male, I'm like, well, that's not me probably, <laughs> you know, even though he's my mentor and everything, but sometimes that's where you need that. Well, you just brought it up. Like that's the whole point of our show. And I think mm -hmm. it's a perfect cross-section of your organization and our organization is it's all about who you want to have a beer with. And as uh, innocent of a phrase as that might've yeah. sounded. It that, alienates that, a whole bunch of people. It really does. 
fun. Your average beer drinker, craft beer drinker especially, is what I'm hearing, right? Yeah. Uh, your average craft beer drinker is what? Uh, 35-year-old white, white male. cis male. Yep. Um, with a beard, with black, a, thick frame glasses. With a beard and money. Uh, <laughs> um, a, flannel, a flannel shirt. Earning at least um seventy two to ninety nine thousand dollars a year. Probably yeah. like in that range. Right. Like, <laughs> I could be in that range. The fact know. that you're like at the low end of that range, like you're just fighting to get into that low end of the range. Yeah, I'm still fighting to get into that right. low end. But, but, that, <laughs> but that's the conversation to be had. And, and we're talking about the sports industry and um not to take away from all of the actual like experience and expertise that that takes in place but when we're talking about engineers when we're talking about different like career paths and we're really speaking about what what does all this actually mean the 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 backwording behind all of it and that's why uh when you reach out to me about partnership uh having this partnership with the connect it was uh really exciting because i i see the bigger vision that you have for for people thank you absolutely (laughs) incredible because it's yeah. as much as we, you know, we talk about, oh, sports and then craft beer, like two completely different <laughs> things that don't really, you know, interconnect. But the fact of the matter is the reasons why they aren't diverse are exactly the same because it speaks mm-hmm. to societal issue. It speaks to an issue of history and systemic uh, suppression of, pe- of a people, you know? So... Yeah. That's, that's why it's so impactful for us to connect on these things because we're fighting the same connect. thing. There we go. <laughs> marketing. There we go. The <laughs> connection with this, <laughs> this whole thing is the fact that the issues we're fighting are the same issues. It's just yeah. how are they affecting our different industries or our different walks of life? you know it just comes back to the same exact issues right so as we're wrapping this up what what i would like to get from you is um this first question would be in a perfect world how how does the connect fit into the sports industry what what do you see like you've put in the time you've built up every single connection that you needed to build up what what is happening now what what does the connects uh organization what what do you provide to to people Ooh, that that's a loaded question I, i'll take it a couple ways uh, in a perfect world i want to have someone who's went through our connect program to be the future cfo of a sports um team that's in a perfect world that's my dream is to have a kid who was in high school or in college um who kind of went through did the mentorship did, attended, made the proper connections. We helped him get into an organization and they surpassed our expectations and now are running that organization. So in a perfect world, that's just the small pillar that I would love to happen for the kids that we're talking to, to get there. Um, the other word, I guess is, you know, uh, <laughs> sounds stupid, but like world domination in kind of a way, you know, I want to be connected to more NFL teams. I want to be connected to NBA teams that are using our platforms to hire diverse candidates. Um, right now, we are working on a couple partnerships with a couple teams and a couple organizations that are doing that and are going to be working with us to get more of a diverse um, candidate pool to pull from. So in a perfect world, in a couple of years, I guess my stretch goal would be to be an every NFL team to be in every NBA team and to be with the big agencies as well that um, your CAAs, your Octagons, your Wassermans, those types of agent elevate sports, those agencies as well um, that they're, they're using our platform to diverse their candidate pool. Wow. Yeah. First, first <laughs> of all, I, I didn't even know half the names you just, <laughs> I kind of, I'm just, I'm so, you know, we're so removed from that, from the industry, but yeah. just to throw those names out there as like, even just like research pieces is, is, is fantastic information for people who are listening. Um, but, you know, besides what the connect, you know, that's the, that's the end goal, but what are you doing right now? What are you doing to get to that end goal? What have, what have you done? Because you've only been going, you know, basically since the pandemic, right? So Yeah, so realistically, um, since August, uh, we've been going and 
we're very fortunate we're growing really fast. We held our first event in August and when we held our first event, we're like, okay, our goal is to have 10 people <laughs> tune in to this event. And when we started marketing it and putting it out on our social networks, the response that we were getting from not only college students that are interested in it, but also um, entry level or just recent graduates that signed up to be a part of our first event. It was over 50, 50 people and we were just like, okay, people want this, people need this, and this is something that is interesting. So we're on the right track there. Um, so right now, our main pillar we're working on is just engagement. So the, you'll see our virtual chats. We have a virtual chat coming up on January 13th. Uh, one of the features that are gonna be on the chat is actually, slight plug, I'm sorry for that, but <laughs> one of the features people were gonna have featured on that panel is um, Jennifer King, who is the assistant football coach to the Washington football team. And then we also have Maria Giovanetti is assistant mystics. And those two names are very, you know, powerful names because they are one of the first in their respective fields. You know, assistant GM, that's huge. Uh, assistant coach, that's huge, especially in football. That's really huge. And so we're growing and we're, we're educating our um, college students and our high school students and our entry level students about what it takes to kind of get in these positions. How are you branding yourself properly to go out into those interviews, especially how are you branding yourself as a minority to stand out in a huge candidate pool? Um, so that, and that's really important to hone in upon is how you stand out and how you self-brand yourself. That's the biggest part. And you can take that into any business world, any world realistically as craft beer. How are you branding yourself? Like me personally, after we're done here, I don't drink beer but I'm gonna be looking up that group that you guys mentioned. And I'm definitely gonna be telling my brother who does drink craft beer to go check that out, you know? So right there, it's like, it's how are you branding yourself and the importance of branding yourself and standing out as a minority, which is pretty awesome. Absolutely. Um, dang, I, I put my finger up. because I, I thought it. you I had, had it. A point. I had it, it was, it was here. Um, hold on, I got it. Well, as you're saying, I got it. As you're saying, ah, oh, got it, I, I all right. It. <laughs> as I'm thinking, as I'm thinking. So, so then you talk about the the college kids that you have, the mentorship program. Um, mm -hmm. How can people either apply or get in touch with you to make this happen? That was my Is question. that going to be? <laughs> uh, so right now, um, the main way to kind of get in touch with us, especially just to be aware, is on our social media channels. If you have a LinkedIn. I very highly recommend creating one if you don't have one yet. That is where you, a lot of the business people do their business um, per se. I've reached out to some people I never thought I'd have a conversation with before, but you know, just going on a whim, you know, I've talked to people at uh, really high people at Rock Nation just by saying, hey, I'd love to just set up a conversation with you for like 10 or 15 minutes and that actually worked. I was surprised. I was shocked. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, LinkedIn, we're on LinkedIn, we're on uh, Facebook, and we're on Instagram. Um, so definitely find us on all three of those channels. Send us a direct message. Sade, uh, who runs our social team, she's very responsive. <laughs> yeah, she is an IUP grad. She's no, no, Sade is IEP grad. She, uh, yeah, we went to the same school, nice. same major, so that's why I get really excited with Sade because she yeah. did some really cool things. And when uh, I saw that you guys brought her on, I was really excited because not it's a writing based thing, but then also mm -hmm. having just that uh connection beyond it is kind of exciting. Yeah. That's where you talk about LinkedIn and social media platforms, and a lot of people don't view LinkedIn as another extension of social media. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it's business social media, but it's still a social media platform. You still should approach it in the exact same way you approach your social media if you use it as a business tool. Yes. And I, I think you guys do it uh, exceptionally well. We don't, but you do. <laughs> <laughs> we have a social media? Oh, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> now we, Instagram is where we thrive. But yeah. Um, when, when you have that depth and everything, like for, for us, it's really exciting to see what you guys are doing um, in a nonprofit sense, in a nonprofit world, but how you utilize social media, not just in a very uh, traditional, if you would call it traditional, <laughs> social media is far from it, yeah. but um, 
Uh, it's more traditional now than you think, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, to expand it into uh, using that same principle with LinkedIn is, is very uh, exciting. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I would love to continue this conversation. Uh, I think what you guys are providing is just extremely needed, extremely um, just... I, it's it's so impactful yeah. for communities that we come from because yeah. one ironically it's marketable you know you can go to high you can go to Reading High and be like hey do you want to work in sports like hey are you not great at sports but you love sports <laughs> hey are you great at math you can still be in sports like you can still be around sports like closer than you've ever been in your life and I think working with the players absolutely. if you want to as a, a stats and stats you know stats or, <laughs> or trainer you know trainer if you put into medical things it's there's so many options that we don't think about and I think it just it just takes you know people like you to really get that idea out to kids you know in high school yeah really get them on a very productive and fulfilling path in life yeah. So as we wrap this up, um, I have one last question. You had okay. said a word that is a key word to me. Um, I don't know if you have much uh, beer. Yeah. Craft <laughs> beer. <laughs> I don't you have um, many more questions to ask, but um, you you said privilege at one point, and yeah. I, I think that's a very key word because. Um, a lot of the conversations I have around race relations and when we're talking about diversity and inclusion, the word privilege scares people a lot and they take it as, um, they take it offensively sometimes. They think, well, I'm not privileged. I had to go through all these, these struggles. And what I've learned about privilege is it is something that many of us are fighting for and fighting towards. We, we want to, everybody wants to leave this world with more privilege than they had when they started. And yeah. I, I, I think that the connect allows for that in a way. I, I think there are, um, I think we have to rethink how we approach this word privilege. And I think you are providing privilege to a lot of people who wouldn't be allowed that privilege in the first place. And I, I just want to hear you speak about what opportunities the connect is allowing. Yeah. Well, first off, I think I might have to bring you along with my meetings, Tyler. Just the, <laughs> what you just said there about privilege, that, that speaks volumes of exactly what, what we're trying to do. And if you take advantage of everything, that's where privilege comes from. It's taking advantage of what you have in front of you. You know, that's kind of what privilege always meant to me is, is exactly that. So, you know, the person who might have been in a privileged sense, because their dad knows that CFO, they took advantage of, hey, my dad knows that CFO, maybe I could get a job with this team. Um, but the connect, you know, what we do is exactly that. We um, bring you and we connect you to these hiring managers, to these jobs. Like, I don't know if you saw, well, a while ago, we did an opportunity with Adidas, um, with their seed school, who was taking minority students. Um, so the students that followed us, they see that connections like oh I may not have saw that on a regular and we posted about it they applied you see that type of advancement right there um, just from different opportunities another one is like with Damian Lillard what he's doing with uh, Adidas is a, a really big what they're doing right now is huge in terms of working with urban communities and getting them more involved with what they're doing which is awesome um, what he's doing with his brand is bringing that urban and his privilege to those students who are able to take advantage of that. And you never know what that may lead to with them in the future with Adidas, with probably not Nike, because I doubt Nike's gonna hire someone from Adidas, but you never know. But, <laughs> but with uh, different, different industries like that and different organizations that people of us, kids who grew up in Reading, who went to Reading High School, who went to you know, Baltimore, St. Francis Academy, um, that they bring that right to them and allow them to use that privilege. And that's what we're doing. We're connecting those people and those organizations to our audience that is maybe not be as privileged as just, hey, my father is that, but it's like, hey, I have this organization that I could use to my advantage and I can network with these people in a way that I may not have been able to just being out here on my own. 
um, trying to break into the industry. Wow, that was yeah. that was that was fantastically put. <laughs> Fantastic. As as that phrase was not fantastically put, um, <laughs> we have a, we have a couple questions that we normally ask people we interview, mm-hmm. um, and we're going to kind of tailor it to the sports industry in this case. But uh, you, the first question is, what boxes do you check in terms mm. of demographic? You know, Ooh. what do you what what would you describe yourself? You know, I describe myself as a cis black man yeah so I guess I guess I would describe myself I guess I'm still I'm don't get me wrong I'm still learning the proper you know so I guess I would be a a cis black female that's the box I always check that's what I that's what I represent okay fantastic um and has your blackness ever been questioned um especially especially (laughs) in writing or (laughs) More times than you know, Chris. <laughs> More times than you know. Um, my own setting, especially with other Black females, you know. Um, I play tennis, like you said. I play tennis. I was fortunate enough to live above Hampton Boulevard. Um, I was I was fortunate enough to have parents who could afford tennis lessons. Um, so my my Blackness was always question oh and you know you hear the stereotypical joke my last name is white you know so <laughs> you get that joke already off the bat um but it, it was questioned a lot I, I speak very proper I don't talk you don't talk black I don't talk black but like if you take me there I can talk black you know <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so it, it's been questioned a lot growing up especially growing up as a kid as a teenager as in middle school um, it was definitely something I, I struggled with connecting with different um, our audience. It wasn't until college and probably my first job at, well, my monumental sports where I really connected with my culture as much as I did, you know, working at monumental, I met so many dope black people, so many dope like Asian people, but I was able to really work with my people and I saw them there and that's when I really connected like okay they don't care that I speak proper because they're speaking proper too and you know what we're both at this Travis Scott concert you know (laughs) doing our thing uh so you know it was high school and in middle school it was a little rougher for me you know connecting with with the black audience as much as I would have loved to you know so but now I'm flourishing in it and I love every minute of it so (laughs) you know it's been great and that kind of speaks to my last question or our last question that we always have. <laughs> I'm, I'm asking them, I guess. So um, it was, you know, when was, when was the first time that you saw yourself represented in your industry, in the sports industry, in the back end? Obviously, yeah. obviously, you know, as, a, as athletes are, we're, we're represented very well in terms of athletes, but, you know, in the back end where you, where you were working, um, when was the first time you were really represented? Yeah, so um, I'll go back to my time in Monumental because that was, that's where I grew up. I always like to say I was there from when I was 21 to 28. Uh, (laughs) So my director who hired me, she was the Black female director. Um, She was the first person on the business money-making side. There's a difference there. I like to clarify on the money-making side that was a director. Um, She was the first time I saw a person who looked like me in that power. Um, and I was in the industry for a little bit um, already and knowing in that company who, on the money-making side, who were the power connectors. Um, so she was my first time. It was a short stint that I was underneath her. She moved on to bigger and better things. She is the president and COO of the Los Angeles Sparks. So she moved on to way bigger, better things. And I'm, I'm so glad to this day, I still reach out to her. I feel, I feel like she's a mentor to me. So. I was really great, happy to have her for that short period of time working underneath her. I learned so much from her. I still go back to when we work together and apply those things that she taught me and how to really conduct yourself and be a better person and kind of get to where you are, where you want to go as a Black female. Um, so that's one of the people I look up to to this day. I would love to be, you know, on her level where she's at, you know, still climbing to get there, but she's, she's the first person. I ever saw on the money-making side of the business of sports, 
Um, and she's always been an inspiration because what she's accomplished and what she's done. Um, her name's Danita Johnson, so go look her up, guys. <laughs> you know, she, it's, it's big, big business when you're the president and COO of a team, being a female, being a Black female. It doesn't get spoken about a lot, but she's, in, in our industry, she's a true champion and every, you know, everyone loves her. <laughs> a Black woman who pioneers anything is yeah. a true champion in this country, yeah. for sure. Um, awesome. She gets to work with uh, Magic Johnson, which is probably even right. more awesome. <laughs> like just, wow. you know, slight work probably has a cell number. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there are endless questions I have for you. Um, as somebody who was coached by you, um, <laughs> you've always been somebody that I've seen doing these things and starting these initiatives and have always been a uh, source of inspiration for me. Um, we're wrapping up the show. I just want to allow you an opportunity yeah. to say anything that uh, you, you feel like hasn't been said or that you would want to, uh, any words of advice for, for people going forward? Yeah, um, I have a couple things to say for sure. I definitely reach out to people that meant a lot to me and where I've been. Of course, my family, my mom and my dad always pushed me to be greater than who I am. I'm sure they're going to be listening later on. So uh, definitely shout out to mom and dad. <laughs> um, a couple other people, Cab Twyman, Russell Moore, they mm. took my tennis level to a different to a different atmosphere that a coach has never done before. Anything, the power, the strength, my game was cultivated by Coach Rust and Coach Cab Twyman. So I, I owe them a lot. Yes. And, you know, so they're <laughs> two really important people in my coaching career that took me to the talent they quote unquote told me to, to play like a man in so many ways they would just hit the ball <laughs> at me so hard i had no choice but to, <laughs> to to be better um so those two people are very some people i keep near and dear to me um and then of course i want to thank my team jen carrington Charday. they're crushing it every day with me in the battlefield and i call it a battlefield because it is a, it's an uphill climb until we you know, we get to where we want to be so i just want to thank them real quick for just going on this journey with me you know, friends creating a business can be rough, but they're making it fun. So I, I love every minute working with them. Um, word of advice to anyone who's listening is you have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Um, that's something I've I heard someone say before, and I was just like, it applies to everything that I want to do, especially if you want to break into the craft beer business. You have to get comfortable with being the only one in the room, and it might be an uncomfortable situation but you have to do that. I mean, I'm, I'm really familiar with being the only one in the room, um, especially in the sports and entertainment industry. You look around the room, you're like, okay, is there any females in here? No, are there any minorities in here? No, and, and you have to get comfortable talking to the CFOs and the CEOs and making in an uncomfortable situation where you may not have that backup. So that's kind of the biggest advice that I would kind of give is you have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable and that's just going to help you and propel you to where you want to be. Yeah. Uh, we uh, appreciate you so much for jumping in here. We're going to leave all of the contact information to uh, just talk to you, to get uh, any type of opportunities with the Connect. It's going to be in our show notes because this is something that we 100% are behind and believe in. Um, Thank you so much for reaching out to us. Thank you so much for being a part of this conversation. Anytime, guys. Like, honestly, thank you guys for just, you know, we're a brand new nonprofit organization. So I appreciate you guys just taking a chance with us and, and letting me kind of talk and let me talk about something I love doing. So I appreciate both of you. So we're definitely not taking a chance. That's no, for sure. no. <laughs> it's a calculated risk. That's not uh, much of a risk at all. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, until next time, thank you everybody for listening. We are the Alternative Blacks and uh, peace. Peace.